We said we weren't going to do it, but we did anyway. This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer. I'm your host, Jay Arnold. In this episode, episode 28, I talk with Mike Hobbs about Warhammer 40,000 8th Edition and his new fantasy wargame project. After this quick break, my discussion with Mike. And we're joined by Mr. Michael Hobbs of Meeple's Adventures podcast. Hello, Mike. Hello, Jay. Hello um, to all of the um, veterans. Veterans? I, I don't know. Veteraners, Yeah, I'm trying to think of a nice word, a nice sort of, you know catchphrase for you guys. You know, we've got Meeps. Maybe yeah. should, you should be the Veeps. The Veeps. The Veeps. Well, we we use the term Veep to mean Vice President here in the United States. Ah, good point. Yeah. So yeah, I'm maybe not, not that one then. <laughs> yeah, I, I try to stay apolitical if I can. Yes. And I know we're, you know, we should we should show respect for the position, if not the man or woman, who holds Indeed. that position. So we'll just yes. we'll just uh, respectfully find something else. The veteran is part of <laughs> Veterans. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll You'll figure it out. out. Yeah. So. If you've been listening to the Meeples of Interest podcast and the Veteran Wargamer podcast, you know that something has come up of late, last couple months, and it's being referred to as Dunkgate by those villains over in the UK. And I myself, I call it the cookie controversy. But it, it's, it basically comes down to this. What kind of pasty are you into at the moment? So I think we should start this particular episode since we have a member of the crack, maybe not crack smoking, but the <laughs> the crack uh, team of Meeples and Miniatures. Mike, what 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 little baked good do you have in front of you today? Um, today, Jay, I have a very nice McVitie's dark chocolate digestive, mm. which is a a a, a, a good biscuit. Mm-hmm. You notice we call them biscuits. Biscuits. It, it's a fine biscuit. It's, it's not as good as a um, chocolate hobnob, but it's a fine substitute. Okay. Now, now, something. Since we're talking about this, I think something I've been thinking about because my my brain cycles are are overwhelmed with Dunkgate at the moment. And <laughs> as a whole. Yeah, I, I think we should maybe not define our terms, but maybe discuss our terms a little bit more some people seem to think and I used to be one that when we say in the, in the United States when we say cookie a British person might think biscuit and I've been thinking on it and I don't quite think that's the case now a few things uh, a, th- a few terms of similarity that are important first off generally speaking Correct me if I'm wrong, but a biscuit is going to be mm-hmm. an individual serving, you know, small enough that you could eat in probably two, maybe three bites, four if if you're being dainty, I suppose, and proper, and yeah. generally sweet, generally served as as a snack, or maybe even as a substitute for breakfast. I'm I'm mentioned. I mentioned breakfast in particular because I noticed you had a picture of yourself with some Belveda breakfast biscuits earlier. Yes, yes. 
Um, okay, we have those. We have those in the United States also, and I love them. I think they're great. Mm. Now, a cookie is not a biscuit, and here's why: a cookie more often is quite a bit sweeter than a biscuit, and mm-hmm. they have a generally different texture. Now, oh, yes. there are a couple of couple of exceptions to that. Like, I believe you'd probably refer to a shortbread, what we call shortbread cookie as a shortbread biscuit, right? Yeah. Yeah, shortbread is, um, it, it's sort of on the side, shall we say. Hmm. Mm. I, I, I class... On the side as it's not a biscuit, or, is it, or it's something other yeah, than a biscuit? It's, it's, it's not really a biscuit. It, it's more of a, um, a, a baked pastry product. It, mm-hmm. it, it sits alongside things like scones. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, I, I mean, the way I look at it, Jay, is that um, all, all cookies could be biscuits, but not all biscuits could be cookies. And um, I I tend to go along the, the pattern of biscuits tend to get softer as they go off, whereas cookies probably get harder as they go off. Hmm. Interesting. And, and, and there, I think, is the uh, juxtaposition of the, the two products. Okay, well, obviously, we need to we need to raise some funds. We need to establish a a cookie studies yeah. department at a university nearby, or a biscuit mm. studies oh, department. <laughs> Maybe at yeah. the at the at the nearest culinary institute. So yeah. it, it bears it bears further further discussion and and study for sure. Yeah, definitely for study. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. I, I sort of look upon it that. Um, we should possibly separate um, biscuits from from Dungate because, t- to me, Dungate is all about placing some product into a hot beverage and then eating it. Now mm-hmm. that 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 could be a could be a cookie, it could be a biscuit, it could be some shortbread. It most definitely won't be a sponge, because that way leads to, well, madness. Mm. So hey, you can dunk everything. That's to... You can dunk everything as long as you got the right technique. That's my that's my stance. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I am a I am a firm, and I've established this on Twitter, and I've established this on the podcast. You can dunk anything as long as your technique is 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 well studied and researched. You you can dunk everything, yes, but um, the the difficulty is getting it into your mouth after you've dunked it. Hey, it's just a matter of technique. <laughs> it's just a matter of technique. <laughs> Case in point. Case in point, I have a a slice in front of me of the lovely, lovely soccer torta. Oh, that, I wonder when this would come up. <laughs> that listener Christoph sent uh, all the way from Vienna, and not only did did the soccer tort uh, come from Vienna, but Christoph himself lives in Vienna, and it was and it's perfect. It's a perfect gift for a gamer. You can go out. It's it'll be in the show notes, folks. Because it comes in a lovely wooden box that you can use later for storing dice. And if you choose to use that as your travel box, you've got something to roll your dice in. This is cool, CJ. This is cool to the nth degree. <laughs> I mean, you talk... You... What? What are you talking about? I'm just taking... Yeah. I'm, I'm just taking the first the first point... First point off the cake. I'm, I've got a glass of milk here because that's what we do. We, we eat... We eat cake with milk here, and and the mm. good thing it's it's dense it's dense enough that 
you can sit and wait with it fully dunked and let the little air bubbles come up letting you know that it's displacing the air with the delicious white creamy milk you can tap it on the side of your mug <laughs> and enjoy yeah. it's delicious like a is so nice <laughs> no it's it's nice yeah it's very nice I like it and I highly recommend it for anybody who who has yeah. the inclination to get a very nice chocolate cake in the mail so yeah I, I really like it and, and it, it was particularly see Kristoff was my 200th follower on Twitter and I thought hey 200th follower I should probably send him something something wargaming so I went through the archives here at the veteran wargamer bunker and found a set of Civil War rules that I'm probably never going to play and I had two copies of anyway so I sent him one and so in reply he sent me this cake and I think I got the better end of the deal most definitely and, it, and if you want to send me his address I've got loads of stuff there I'll, I'll, I'll swap that good <laughs> <laughs> stuff we should talk <laughs> whatever I mean what do you want I'll, I'll send you photographs of the, of the whole collection <laughs> Speaking of photographs, speaking of photographs, yeah. I showed, I showed my missus the, your Twitter profile picture, and said, "This is the guy I'm gonna be talking to tomorrow morning." <laughs> she said, "What, Joe Pesci?" <laughs> <laughs> so the, so the missus thinks you look like Joe Pesci. So, <laughs> well, that, that's yeah. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> Now, in, in other Twitter Twitter war news, we've got a brand new one. Oh, have we? We do. Who I upset this, day, this time? Well, if you recall, uh, yesterday, maybe the day before, I had mentioned on Twitter that Neil Shuck calls you the Welsh wizard. Yes. And over on the... And over on the D6 generation... They call one Mr. Owen Staten the Wizard from Wales. Mm. And I think that that is a prime opportunity, and I mentioned as such, that for you two to get together and... Uh, actually, I just, I just mentioned it. I didn't say anything else about yeah. it at all. I just mentioned it. And someone said that it's, it's going to be a good time to it'll be a good time to get together and put to rest you know who's the who's the the reigning champion of Wales and so there was discussion of playing Magic the Gathering and that immediately fell through and then yeah cause neither was playing and then you mentioned just let's get together and have a pint. I think Owen is probably for for that. Yeah. Well, I am going to uh, be meeting up with Owen on this coming Thursday um, because he uh, Owen's mm -hmm. a storyteller and he's having an event um, in uh, Ponta Dawi Library on Thursday uh, where he's going to be. Um, doing a rendition of um, a Charles Dickens mm -hmm. story for, the, for Halloween and I've mentioned this to my, my good lady wife and she went oh that looks good 
So we're going to go along because it's only about 15 minutes down mm -hmm. the road from, from where I live. So um, I, sh I should yeah. be meet, meeting up with Owen and uh, hopefully get a photograph and, you know, we can, we can lace one to rest. I mean, the way that I look at it, Jay, is that Wales is a very magical country anyway, yeah, so we could probably imagine. have two wizards. I would imagine. So I, I yeah. think, though, if there is a game, you're going to have to meet in... Yeah, if there, oh, when no, there no, is no. a game, I should say, you're you're going to have to meet in Abergavenny. Yes. It's, it's the war game and capital of the universe. It only stands to reason. It is, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and get Owen over there. I mean, it's hmm. it, it's over a different valley, but um, he, he should be okay, as long as he's happy yeah. to travel. Well, Wales is roughly the size yeah. of the county I live in, so you'll be okay, I'm sure. Yeah. But remember, we, we don't have to travel that much. You know, we're, we're like hobbits. We like our little areas. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we've got the the cookie controversy laid to bed, we've mm -hmm. got the Kimbering controversy put to bed. Mm -hmm. We should probably start talking about what we came here to talk about, and that is well, that'd be a novel approach. <laughs> <laughs> that is the eighth edition of Warhammer Forty Thousand. Now. Folks might remember in a previous episode, link in the show notes, that Mike and I have discussed our history with Games Workshop in the past, so we won't retread that necessarily. Uh, my feelings on 40K are pretty well firmly established um, since we've had two different Old Hammer episodes as well, links in the show notes. So what we need to do is talk about where we're coming from as far as 8th edition is concerned, some of our observations after playing it, and what the future holds for us personally with 40k. And I, I think we should start uh, kind of, I don't want to say retreading, but kind of overlapping a little bit with our GW episode and just ask ourselves what caught our attention with 40k 8th edition. Yes, it was a bit of a bolt from the blue, I mean, for me. Um, it, it was quite interesting when we recorded that show, because that was um, earlier this year, wasn't it? You know, I mm -hmm. I had no plans on getting back into 40k, and I think when, uh, right at the end you asked me what would possibly get me back, and I said it would be the rules. And I think it was the rules that actually sort of first piqued my attention um, th there was actually there was a couple of things for me one the fact that they were going to simplify the rules massively but the other the, the main one was the fact that they were going to level all of the armies off um, and that was a huge one because the thing has always put me off 40k and the, re the reason I stopped playing there was the codex creep and I wasn't prepared to go and you know build a new army every couple of months just to play a game. So yeah, that was the first thing that piqued my attention. And then as it sort of the the, the I was going to say hysteria started to ramp up, but that's probably the wrong word. But you know, as as it got closer and closer, and we found out more things about what they wanted to do. Um, the other thing that I really got interested in was the different types of play. They, there seemed to be a mind shift in, in Games Workshop. I mean, they made a massive change with this set of rules. You know, it's it's the first time they've leveled the, the, the armies off for a start in, 
or 20 years, possibly more. And the fact that they're moving away from the sort of competitive style play and the micromanagement of points and all of that into a more narrative game, that I found really interesting. And that's probably why I, why I picked it up. What about you? Well, as I mentioned previously, what caught my attention first was them bringing back the Gene Steeler cults with their game over uh, Death Watch Overkill. And that really got me interested. And because I, I was a Gene Stealer cult fan back in back in uh, the late Rogue Trader days, early and uh, second edition, and I they I, I've got a theory that you your your hobbies as an adult, especially once you hit forty, are going to revolve around what you did when you were in middle school, early early days of high school and for me that was Warhammer 40,000 and so here we are you know almost 30 years later for me and here they bring back one of the things I liked most about Warhammer 40,000 that was the Gene Steeler Colts and that kind of got my attention first and I heard the talk about uh, what they're going to be doing with the rules streamlining them hey the the basic rules are only going to be four pages, and uh, just like you said, they're going to have brand new, you know, brand new army lists for everything. They're going to have uh, stats for everything that they're currently producing in a series of books, and it'll be all contained and inclusive and ready to go right right at ship. And I I thought that was great, and so. And oh, by the way, the rules are the core rules are going to be free. Also, well, it's no secret that Games Workshop is a figure manufacturing company, yeah. and the rules are let's face it, secondary. You know, I, I didn't have any illusions that you know this is going to be a great rule set by any means, but I looked at it as an opportunity to play games in the setting that for I, I still like. Um. You know, I like Imperial Guardsmen to be Imperial Guardsmen. I like Space Marines to be Space Marines, and Eldar to be Eldar, and all the rest. So I thought, yeah, I'll go ahead, I'll dip the toe in, I'll I'll get just what I need, and we'll go from there. And uh, and that's that's pretty much how I've kept it. Um, in the meantime, after making that decision, my son discovered the orcs, and more. More accurately, he discovered squigs, and oh, by the way, orcs come with squigs. So, uh, I'm looking <laughs> at a pile of <laughs> of orcs, not rogue trader orcs, unfortunately. Although I do have a pile of them around right here somewhere, <laughs> and I'm painting them up for him, and he's practicing painting on his own goblins. Yeah. So, that, that's another reason to kind of do something with it, because uh, he's interested in it, so I get to be interested in it. And so that's all good. So that's that's what that's what uh, brought me back. Now, I had these big yeah, promises. Um, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it. And we'll talk about this aspect a little bit more. But to date, to my credit, to date, the only thing I've bought for myself was the the hardback rules, uh, the hardback book, which is gorgeous, by the way. And two of the indexes. I got the index with. Uh, Xenos 2, which has the Orcs and the Gene Stealer, Cult, and Tyranid lists. 
which is you know right up my alley, and Imperium 2, which has the Imperial Guard. I'm not going to use that other term because they're the, they're the Imperial Guard. So now, caveat to that, yes, for my exactly. birthday I did get a box of Gene Steeler Cult Acolyte hi- hybrids. So, but other than that, and well, I bought I bought some you know figures for my son. But that, like I said, those aren't for me. Those are for my son. So, so that's where we are. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I bought the the box set when it came out. Um, because I got a nice deal from from Firestone. Um, I, I immediately then went and um, I, I sort of looked at the plastics and thought mm, they're quite nice, but do I really want to do them? So um, I actually swapped them with um, Matt Slade from uh, Glenblood Games, who has bought massively into 40k. Um, nice. And I, I swapped them for a whole bunch of um, old Hammer uh, dwarves. Um, so I swapped those figures off. So I've, I've got the rule book and I've got some of the indexes. So I bought the um, Imperium 1 and 2 index. I've got the Chaos 1. But I also bought two of the Forge World ones, um, and that's because the only armies I've got left now for 40k mm-hmm. are um, some Renegades, some Forge World Renegades, and my Dark Angels. And I was I, I bought the Chaos one because I thought I might do um, Death Guard because they've always been you know I've always fancied them, but but I but that's it. I, I haven't bought any figures. Um, I've dusted off all the figures I had. And I've worked out I got enough to play enough games, so I can't see any point. And you know, the, the indexes allow me to play those those armies again. And and it's it's been quite nice. I've had a few games um, down at Firestorm, and being able to get the the uh, Dark Angels back out and play them and not feel as if they're completely underpowered nice. was actually really nice. And you know, I I played yeah, against it... a guy who had a squat army. Which was lovely, and we just had a laugh. Yeah, yeah. He he just fielded fielded them as um uh, actually as, as renegades, and um yeah, it was just it was just a fun games, you know, and and that was it. It it really scratched that itch for me. One thing that I really appreciate that they've done with this latest book is they've opened up, you know, they they've opened up the or reopened, I should say narrative and open play and codified it and now if you're saying hey I want to do I don't you know I don't want to do something with min max points list I want something that's a little bit more free form in the army creation I want something that's you know just a little bit more imaginative and we can make a story as we go and we're not really concerned about who wins or who loses and not get looked at like you've got a well like you've got a, a an eye growing out of the middle of your forehead and I, I really like that approach to games like this because, you know, it. I'm not a tournament gamer. I don't think I'll ever be a tournament gamer. I. I guess I can see the appeal for a certain mindset of player that likes tournaments, and if you like tournaments, great. You know, I'm I'm happy for you that you found a a way to practice the hobby that that gives you enjoyment. It's just not for me. So when they devote a significant amount of time in the book 
to not only talking about open play and narrative play, but to also go into a number of different scenarios and have special rules for those scenarios, you know, right in the book. And they've got a little bit of a campaign system in there. It's not fully fleshed out. I mean, it's not, I mean, you're not going to do a full map-based campaign out of what they have in the book, but they talk about map-based campaigns. I like where they're taking the, the philosophical underpinnings of playing the damn thing, you know, and it's not just tournament-style matched play. And I appreciate that, and I think it's great that they've gone that way. So, and I think because of I've got such a history of playing games that yeah. aren't made by GW, and a lot of games, you know, that I like don't have points lists necessarily. You know, like Stargrunt. You know, Stargrunt doesn't have points lists. I really like Stargrunt, though. Uh, Ambush Alley and Force on Force and Tomorrow's War, you know, they don't have points lists. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's all scenario driven. You know, many, 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 actually up until the last 20 years, almost all historical games didn't have points lists. I want to say that maybe Warhammer Ancient Battles was the first historical game to have points lists. I'm probably wrong, and I'm willing to admit if I am. But, you know, there's there's a pretty significant history of games without points lists. And I think that that GW is taking the time to say not only just you know, a, a one paragraph blurb, oh, by the way, you don't have to pay play with points lists if you don't want to. You know, they've actually got fully fleshed out segments in the book on that topic. And I think that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I think the move away from the, the points and they, they, they move to these power ratings for, for units was, for me, quite important. Um, they did keep points in there so you you can still go down that route so they've they've left the door open for the the competitive players and i know a lot of people who who just use points because that's what they do but for me i looked at the power levels and thought that's actually quite nice and as you say with the narrative play the use of stratagems and the the sheer amount of um of scenarios that are in the book you know is just fantastic and that I think is one of the major selling points. That 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 was why I really got wanted to get the game was because it, it moved away from you right. know do a fifteen hundred right. points and you got one of six scenarios. You know they've they they've definitely seemed to be approaching it and they definitely seem to be pushing it towards um, players that they've lost over the years, shall we mm-hmm. say? Now, how many how many games at this point have you played, Mike? Um, not as many as I wanted to. I, I've only played about four, four mm-hmm. or five, um, because I kind of got a bit distracted just after it came <laughs> out. Um, <laughs> with with another podcast. More on that later. More on that later. <laughs> um, so yeah, I haven't played much, but I, you know, I the games that I played, I really enjoyed. You know, and I got a bit of a buzz, and it's it's really nice seeing, you know, people of a similar age to me going into the game shops and coming out with 40k stuff and wanting to play and want, you know we're getting excited again about playing the game mm-hmm. so um, yeah I, I would like to play more but yeah I've got three under my belt uh, the first one we were just making sure that we could get through and understand what's going on and that was interesting because uh, a barber who works with me 
is interesting. He's a big magic player, but mm. there was a group that kind of splintered off from the magic group near where I live, and they got into 40k, and they were going big guns for about a year and a half, and they've kind of died off recently. And I think it's actually the split between 7th and 8th that caused some of that, but that's that's another... I, I don't have time to go into a group psychology <laughs> discussion, but i uh, <laughs> going to cough. <coughs> but, uh, now he, he wanted to check out 40K, and I thought, hey, this is a perfect opportunity. Um, you know, here are the different factions, and here's some videos on the different ones, and you know, do you know what faction you want to play? Yeah, I've got my eye on the on the Adeptus Mechanicus. It's, oh, great! I've already got the the rule book that handles them. So, you know, you can borrow that. And no, oh, here's the main rule book. Take a look at it. And we just were down in my basement, and he came over and played with my Imperial Guard, and I played with my Imperial Guard, and my brother brought his Tau, and we just kind of worked through. Uh, worked through it that way and if if you recall in a previous episode my brother uh discussed playing uh third and i think a little bit of fourth edition with uh tau and space marines and then the second and third games uh we played uh was over columbus day weekend it was actually the sunday of columbus day weekend and i went to my brother's and my buddy was supposed to come with me, but apparently he got into his cups a little hard the night prior and didn't make it. But uh, my brother and a friend of ours, another friend of ours, uh, all met at my brother's, and it was my Imperial Guard versus uh, my brother's Tau and our friends Eldar. And there's a little, there's a little tiny uh, pyramid campaign in in the book, in the 8th edition book, and we we played that. Now, something that I'm doing with 40k is we are establishing a persistent world for us to play our games on. And we played that initial little pyramid campaign as the establishment of the alien foothold on the planet. And so, due to the solid drubbing mm-hmm. <laughs> that my Imperial Guard got... In the first and second scenarios we played, we still have a third scenario to play out to to fully, you know, to complete the the little campaign. But it looks like the the Xeno scum are are definitely gonna get their foothold on the planet, and they're gonna be around for a while. But that's okay. Yeah. Well, that's quite kind of good. Yeah. yeah well, until the Imperial forces start really short campaign. collapsing on themselves, and I'm sure there's a genius yeah. cult hanging out somewhere. Hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it, it worked out nicely. Yeah. Um, while I was playing, you know, I enjoyed myself, and I but I quickly recognized I'm enjoying this gaming experience because I'm gaming with friends, with dear friends I've had for you know. In the case of Eric, I've I've known Eric um, for about 15 years now, and of course I've known my brother for a little bit longer than that, but. I can see myself really not enjoying this game if I'm playing just someone fresh, just someone brand new. And I would be able to figure out within the first turn if I'm going to enjoy the rest of the game based on how yes. they were playing and how they were, you know, how they were going about things. And and that's the case with any game, you know. 
you know, there's there's very few games where I can say, yeah, I will yeah, enjoy it, this game no matter it what. It is, but can I? And and I think that 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 says a lot about me mm. as a player but, because I'll play just about anything with the right people. Okay, let let me ask you this then: if you were in the same setup, you know, with mm-hmm. your, your brother and your friends, and you had your armies, and you were playing sixth or seventh edition. Do you think you would have enjoyed it as much? Oh, I'd imagine because I was playing with my, because I was playing with my brother and my friend. Okay, that was quite. Because I, I wonder whether the, the more sort of narrative side, the more simplistic side of the rules, enabled you to just concentrate on. Having fun instead of, flicking back and forth through rule books trying to find the the exact rule to play for this particular weapon you know that's being carried by this particular character oh yeah I, I see where you're going I because that's what I sort of found yeah I can't really answer yeah. that question because well I guess I can because I would say that you know amongst ourselves we probably would have played in that style anyway and then in a more narrative style and not worried about every little mm. thing now our friend Eric who we played with is is more of a he gets down to the nitty-gritty of rules a lot more than I do and is aware of you know all the little intricacies of of how things interact with one another and that's fine it's not the type of game i like to play but again this is you know we're sharing a game it's not my game it's not his game we're sharing the game and he gets to get out of it what he wants and i get to get out of it what i want now as far as the differences between sixth and seventh edition and eighth i can't say because i'm not that familiar with sixth and seventh so I understand that there's quite a bit of rules bloat that came about with sixth and seventh, but all I can say is, in general, I can imagine that yeah, we probably would have had a similar time, I would guess. Um, I don't know. I the individual weapons thing is. I mean, I had I had plenty of guys with, you know, I had you know every one of my squads had at least three weapons in them. So because I took a heavy weapon and a in a special weapon with each one of my squads, so I mean we had we had stuff mixed up pretty good. Because the yeah. last the last edition I played with any regularity was second. Oh okay. Just to just to give you an idea of how how long I've been yeah. away. Um yeah. The last game last edition I played was fifth, but I did completely miss out third and fourth. Um, I, I mean, I, I bought Rogue Trader when it came out because I, I to, mm-hmm. just to take a step back, I suppose. Um, I, I played Epic. I, I, I got into wargaming properly in 1989, 1990, and I played Epic. And Rogue Trader was out, and I picked it up, and I quite liked the sort of RPG style of the game. Uh, but you know, right. I played a little bit of it, and I looked at Second Edition. And I think I actually built a small force for it as well. So I played a little bit of second edition, but then I moved into other games and I missed out third and fourth. And it's only when I met up with um, a friend of mine, Bill, Bill Thornhill, who runs um, Footsaw Miniatures. Um, that's, that was around the time of fifth, and we we both went a bit mental. But we only played against each other. Mm-hmm. You know? So we played lots of fifth, and then when six came out, it was just like, oh, don't like this, and just drifted away from it. So I completely missed um, sixth and seventh, 
but I could see you know lots of people playing it down down the club and the constant churn and the codex creep and I just thought well I'm I'm quite glad I'm not playing there. Now I think that you mentioned something important which is the the constant churn and the codex creep and mm. I actually caught myself cuz I, I just got slaughtered. I had an all infantry guard force. You know, it was all joes, you know, just dudes with <laughs> with their las guns and I like the plasma gun uh, simply because it's got the same range as the rifle which to my mind in an infantryman's mind the support weapons for a squad should have the same range as the basic weapons you know that only makes sense or even a little bit longer so I like the plasma mm. gun uh, it helps with my metal cadians my second edition era metal cadians that the kneeling plasma gunner is probably my favorite single science fiction figure ever sculpted. I I can't say why. I don't know why, so don't ask me why. It's just my favorite. And so, of course, I've got scads of plasma gunners, and I sprinkle them liberally about my formations. And heavy bolters, because, of course, you're going to have a bunch yeah. of heavy bolters with guard. And I didn't, I yes. didn't take a Psyker. I didn't take a Commissar. It was just guys, and I had a, yeah. a couple of missile launchers uh, for some long-range work, but that was it. You know, I I took a look at what I had. I made a list to fit what I had and called it a day. When we were done on the day, uh, we were talking back and forth about what we could have done because you know the tower very shooty and they shoot a lot and they roll a lot of dice and you know. Guardsmen aren't particularly tough, and they're not very well armored, and the Eldar can be pretty shooty as well. Um, I think there was actually only, we only mm. had one or two hand-to-hand -hand combat sessions, and the Guardsmen prevailed because, you know, basic basic tower trash at hand-to-hand <laughs> -hand combat, and basic Eldar aren't that much yeah. better. So, but we were discussing back and forth, and, and, uh... Chris, my brother, and Eric, our friend, were both saying, well, you know, if you had some more vehicles, I could see why people take vehicles for Imperial Guard armies, and this, that, and the other, and I started thinking, well, what kind of models do I have at home, because I'm certainly not going to buy a bunch of uh, GW models, and oh, I've got this one thing that I could put together and make it into something, and this, that, and the other, and now my sister-in-law used to have a Sisters of Battle army that she has since sold on, but for some reason still had a Chimera. Mm. Uh, a partially assembled chimera and she gave that to me which is very thoughtful and appreciated and I thought yeah I could get some more chimeras maybe I could start looking on eBay and watch for when a deal shows up or maybe you know figure out my my search strategy to look for something that might be misspelled so it's you know da 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 and I just started realizing no yeah <laughs> no I'm not going down that road that's that's ridiculous I'm <laughs> you know, I've yeah. got some rhinos, you know, with just these guys. I've got, you know, I've got six rhinos. I've got a seventh that I could rehabilitate. You know, if if I really want to play more games of 40K, I'll just use rhinos and either do counts, either use them as rhinos or, of course, they're the old Rogue Trader rhinos. I'll either use them as rhinos or use them as chimeras, and we'll just call it a day, and that'll be the end of it because I don't need to sink a bunch of money into this when I've already got you know, over a, you know, gosh, how yeah. many how many figures do I actually have? I think I counted up like 160 something of these metal Cadians 
you know, and that's not counting the the rogue trader Imperial Guardsman I've got. So, yeah, I I'm not going down that road. Uh, I know that the Imperial Guard Codex is out. Yeah, I'm not going down that road. If someone wants to get it for me for Christmas, that's great. I'm not going to ask for it for Christmas, but I'm not going to buy it either. No. You know, I, I'm I think I'm happy if I am going to play this game. I'm happy with the index lists, and just call it good with that because I I can see, I can see Codex creep happening again, because. You know, it's in GW's best interest to do that. It's in GW's interest to gin up a yeah. lot of excitement for the new codex that comes out, maybe release a unit or two, and call it a day. And and I think that speaks to the to the bigger issue of GW in that when I did get the index and was looking through it, I there was a bunch of units that I'd never heard of before, and taking a look at like the Space Marines especially. You know, they've got all sorts of weirdly super up armored marines now you know they've got these things called centurions and they've got you know the the whole primaris marine thing and mm. you know i'm i'm happy with space marines just being you've got your specialist types and then you've got yeah tactical squads assault squad support squad and that's it and i'm and i'm fine with that and that that's the kind of warhammer i want to play where you've got limited exactly yeah i don't want to say mm. limited resources but you've got a a rest, i don't want to yeah. say restricted maybe limited is the right word a limited palette i guess you could say or a limited menu from which to choose and you just use what you've got and you have a fun time with it and mm. i don't need a counter for everything every single thing that someone might put on the table you know and i kind of just run what i brung and if I win, I win. If I don't, I don't. And if I'm playing with the right people, I'm guaranteed to have a good time anyway, so it doesn't matter. That's exactly how, how I see it. Like I say, I, I haven't bought any new models. Um, I don't need any more new models. I've got my size forces. You know, I, I, um, I, I play the Dark Angels and, um, you know, I, I played with a 10-man um, heavy squad and 10-man tactical squads. And some some Raven Wing, and uh, I think I had a I had one vehicle with a command squad in it, and it was quite interesting to see how using what I say was sort of proper tactics worked, you know, because my heavy squad were just laying down fire and suppressing troops, whilst my my tactical squad moved in, and I had and I had a bunch of bikers on on the flank, just you know, just mm-hmm. harassing people. And and that worked a treat, and it was a fun game, and it was really nice to see that those tactics working in a game. So yeah, I I, I say it's forty K does have this thing of there are an awful lot of competitive players in there, and that's what they want. So they can still do that in the rules. Yeah. But there's an awful lot of people like us, Jay, who just want to go back and dig out their old figures and have a game. And now, I think they've given us the tools to do that now. So, I think that's that's really good. Now, one thing I gotta ask, and mm. that is, when you said that your your support guys were suppressing the enemy, was that a function of the rules that I missed, or was that a function of the player psychology? Because uh, you can, I'd, I'd say player psychology. Yeah, yeah, I figured. Yeah, because I I was, 
yeah, I was, you know, just dumping down a load of, um, you know, um, <laughs> fire, you know, f from a long distance onto this one squad, which was causing them to f to roll their um, morale um, rolls all mm -hmm. the time, you know. So it just meant that um, that player, he that that squad, he had to move back in, into cover. He, he couldn't, you know, he, he couldn't come at me because I put down a a whole sort of kill zone, which allowed me to move my troops mm -hmm. up until they were in range. So yeah, it, it it wasn't a suppressing fire, but it, it was yeah. that style, shall we say? And and there's something to be said for the psychological effect of different things in games, and where, and I've read articles before about utilizing your opponent's psychology against them, and uh, there there's some there's certainly something to that, but still. You know, to this day, 40k does not have a suppression me mechanism, and pretty much any, for lack of a better term, mass battle or grand tactical, whatever term you want to use, sci-fi game does. You know, and yeah, it was it was first utilized, to my knowledge, with Stargrunt 2, and I love Stargrunt 2 to to the point where it's it's it has been my favorite miniatures game for a long time and I can see it continuing to be my favorite miniatures miniatures game for a long time from now as well. I think the the biggest thing that I think GW missed out on cuz it is somewhat of a reboot, you know, they they have drastically changed some things and I think they missed the opportunity to really shake things up with their rules and to really introduce some more modern concepts. I mean, here we are saying that suppression's a modern concept, but for crying out loud, Stargrunt came out in, in what, 95? 96, somewhere in there anyway? And so yeah. they really had an opportunity to update the rules. Get away from you go, I go. Mm. You know, Get get some more concrete uh, morale rules in there, and a little bit more about the current morale rules because I actually like them. I like the way they work, to be honest with you. But you know, get a little bit more, like I said, just a little bit more updated uh, rules mechanisms in there, because at its heart, it's still 40k. You know, it's still. I move everything, I shoot with everything. Yeah, it is. Well, I guess I psychic with everything, and then I shoot with everything, and then I hand-to-hand -hand with everything, and then I morale everything. And now you get to move everything, etc., etc., etc. So, yeah. I, I think they missed a trick. Now, by that token, I think they probably realize that they can't mess up. They can't mess with too much. Because I think if they mess with too much, they'll alienate a significant portion of their of their audience. Yes. And I, I think at this point, you're... Now, I can't compare between Warhammer Fantasy Battle and Age of Sigmar, because I haven't played Age of Sigmar, to the point where I, I don't think I've even looked at Age of Sigmar, to say what's different and what's the same. Um, I know that there was an utter storm on the internet yeah. when they not only announced what they were doing but but also demonstrated what they were doing not just with the setting but with the rules themselves you know and i think you know from what i can tell they've come out the other end of that whole experience and they're doing okay 
now 40k is more their bread and butter and I can understand them not wanting to up, upset the apple cart too much with that so I can I can kind of understand why they didn't want to mess with it too much but by the same token they could have they could yeah. have made some more concrete steps to modernize the game because it's still I mean all things being equal it still plays like it did when I was playing second edition you know, it's a few minor differences, but by and large, it still plays like it did when I was playing Second Edition. It, yeah, it it does, and I I do agree with you that they they could have done something. I mean, they could have moved to uh, alternative action act- activations. They could have done some more with the commanders, you know. But um, like you say, um, they they did take a lot of flack with um, Age of Sigma. Um, I, I've I've never played it. Um, but I do know people who do play, and they actually love it now. They they love the more sort of freedom. They like the the mechanics a lot more, and they probably play a lot more than they did with their old Warhammer um, Fantasy games. Um, I think what they're saying is because it, it's quicker. It's now a sort of skirmishy game which you can play in an hour, whereas Warhammer Fantasy would probably take you quite a long time to play mm-hmm. through, and it was quite regimented. Um, but yeah, GW went through an awful lot of hassle with that, and it was only when they brought in the, I think the the General's Compendium, which brought in points back into the game, that people really got happy with it. So I think they learned from that. Oh, yeah. When they did 40k, they have apparently brought in some of the um, ideas from Sigma into into Eighth Edition. But like you, like you, I I would have liked them to say, but you know this. You know, we're going to do this. Let's change it. You know, let's let's do something innovative and interesting. Um, but I, I I don't know. I I suppose they do know what what their what their mm-hmm. player base is, and you know they they've they've taken some big steps. Maybe the you know completely revamping the turn sequence was maybe one right. step too far for them. So they, they sort of played it safe. Yeah, and, and I can, like I said, I can certainly see why they would. Um, this, mm. all of this brings me to the point where if someone says, hey, let's play 40k 8th, I will gladly play it. I don't think I'm going to solicit yeah. any further games of 40k 8th. Because at the end of the day, I would still rather play Stargrunt. I would rather play Stargrunt mm. with my 40k figures, and <laughs> by happy coincidence, on the Stargrunt 2 Facebook group, uh, one of the guys just recently posted a link uh, to an article, an old, old article, it probably actually came out around 2nd edition 40k, of converting 40k for use, 40k stat lines for use in Stargrunt. I think that's where I'm, I'm going to take it. You know, because I still want to play in that universe. I still want to do games in that universe. Because, you know, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. I like it. I like how the races interact with one another. I like the the history. I like the stories. Speaking of the stories, a lot of the um, Black Library titles are available on Audible now. That That's happened in the last month or so. So, um, yeah, yeah. uh... The caveat to that, I think, is 
with the stuff I've been doing at my at my war game weekend, uh, J3, uh, we had a whole lot of fun with a Necromunda second edition kind of hybrid that we've been using. Uh, I might test to see where folks would yeah. want to do eighth edition instead, but you know the second edition Necromunda hybrid works so well. You know, I'm not sure there's any point in doing that, with the possible exception of someone who wants a wants to use a unit that is in in eighth edition. But I think we could probably find a workaround otherwise. So yeah, I I don't know. Um, like I said, I I enjoyed. Yeah. What we played, and if one of my regular opponents says, "Hey, let's let's go ahead and get Eighth Edition out again," you know, simply because there's no overhead in creating army lists. You know, for Stargrind, I'm gonna have to go through and <laughs> convert everything and make army lists. But you know, it's. <laughs> I, I guess I've played enough other stuff that I know what the other side of the fence looks like, and the grass is greener. It, yeah, it is, and like like yeah, like you say, it's it it gives me the opportunity to play in that universe without having to do any hard work. You know, I could I could just turn up, put together an army, and go and have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I'd, I I'm always careful who I play against, especially with forty yeah. k. Um, but yeah, it it just works, and it just. It's quite nice to be able to dig out my old armies and just think, well, I can play these now. Mm-hmm. In, instead of saying, you know, trying trying to shoehorn them into another set of rules. Yeah. Um. So it's 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 nice. It's not something I'm going to be playing all the time, but it's something that it's there. Right. It's, it's part of the toolkit of of games that I can play quite easily, but I haven't, you know, out having to do a massive amount of thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is actually quite nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it definitely <laughs> it's gonna stay on my. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the book up on the shelf, probably next to my Rogue Trader reprint, and mm-hmm. they'll be there if I need them. And it's not a bad game by any means. Um, it's not a great game. It's a good game. I call it a good game. It's not a great game. Yeah, you know, it's not Stargrunt. You know, for for all its warts, and they and Stargrunt does have them. You know, Stargrunt's a little hard to get into if you've never played it before, and if you're just reading, if you're just reading the rules, Stargrunt's a hard a hard go. I'll I'll give it that. But you know, it just works and it's smart and it does some things that very few games have done since then, and I just love it. And it's I think when it came out, the open architecture of it for lack of a better term, the openness, the run what you brung was just so refreshing to me. And the fact that units on a table could could be highly variable just with the change of two things. You know, the change between the uh, leadership rating and the troop quality. You know, those two things had such a wild effect on how how troops acted on the field. It was really really breathtaking coming from a history of playing pretty much only Warhammer 40,000 up to that point. And, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't focused, well, I guess isn't focused on the equipment. It was focused on the men and or women or Slendothery or you know, whatever 
whatever you wanted to yeah. <laughs> call your forces, you know, and you know, it's the it's it's the people pulling the triggers, not what the triggers are connected to that matter. And I like that. Right. But uh and I yeah. I gotta say, you guys talking to to John Tuffley himself a couple of episodes back on the Meeples and Miniatures show was easily one of my favorite podcasts this year. That that was a great um, discussion because I, I must admit I've never played Stargrunt or or, or Fold Thrust. Um but it was really interesting to to hear his sort of thoughts of, of game design. Um, you know, the guy is so far ahead of the curve. I mean, like you say, Stargrunt came out twenty two years ago and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has some of the most in- innovative mechanics out there, and yeah, I'm. It, it definitely scratched an image. I think, well, I definitely want to look more into this. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be picking up a, a set of Sargon because I've, I've got some 50 mil um, sci-fi stuff, and like like you, I've got my uh, my 40k stuff. So there's things I can use. So I'm gonna give those a go. Yeah, it, it works. It works for either, you know, and. I've played, you know, my my Cadians are actually painted. The the ones I do have painted are actually painted because we did a, you know, a friend of mine did a and I did a large Stargrunt two game at a at a local shop. He was using Sisters of Battle. I was using Guardians, and <laughs> we got some some odd looks because we were playing 40k, but we weren't playing 40k. And Board Game Geek says that Stargrunt two came out in 1996. It has a 7.4 rating, and it recommends a 120-minute playing time. Age recommendation is 12 plus. Yeah, I can I can see that. Two to four players, best with two. Yeah. Yeah. And it pops up on eBay from time to time. I actually got sniped last week's by some villainous bastard. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching it count down, and three, two, you've been outbid, son of a. (laughs) <laughs> but because I have no idea where the hell my copy of Stargrunt went, I've got absolutely no clue. No. I suspect I, I went it. to a friend, and and no one's saying nothing. But I've got one over because I've I've got all the I've got all the chits and the markers. So yeah, actually I've got oh, go. multiple sets of chits and markers. But anyway, yeah. so I don't have to print them up. But yeah, I mean I. I... When I was doing sort of fifteen mil sci-fi, I was playing um, Grunts, mm-hmm. um, which is a a really nice set of game. Um, yeah, I've heard good things about it. I haven't, it. I haven't played it. Um, my understanding is it basically implemented the core mechanisms of War Machine and Hordes. Uh, is my understanding? At least that was the talk on the fifteen mil sci-fi Facebook group I'm on. But uh, possibly I've, I've I've never played War Machine, mm-hmm. so yeah, I kept away from that. But yeah, it, it is a good little game, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's well worth looking into. Oh, there there are five board games. There are a lot of good games out there. Yeah, there are. <laughs> there are quite a few. You know, you can always do. Yeah. Well, for crying out loud, you've got you know the world's your oyster. You've got Tomorrow's World or mm. Tomorrow's War. Uh, yeah. Grunts. I played that with 40k. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff out there. I used to play a game called Forge of War, which is written by Craig Carmel, 
who wrote in Her Majesty's, Majesty's mm-hmm. Name. And that was a nice little game. Nice little free game that you yeah. can pick up. You know, there's there's lots of games out there. But you say, there is something quite nice about playing in the 40k universe again and just, you know, without having to shoehorn a set mm-hmm. of rules into it. And I think 8th edition just allows me to just to do that without having to invest in whole loads mm-hmm. of new stuff you know and and that's it for me that's that's that's, that's yeah. actually all I want yeah and that's I think I'm I'm probably mm. I'm probably in the same boat I think that if if someone were to say hey let's go ahead and get like I said earlier if, if someone were to say hey let's get Warhammer 40,000 8th out yeah I'd jump at it that's fine I, I'll I'll gladly play it again I I don't see myself getting any indexes or codexes, and to be perfectly honest, no. if if my friend Eric said, "Hey, let's do another mini campaign," yeah, not a problem. I'll do it again, and you know, hey, let's just make sure we're just using index lists, and and go from there. And yeah, yeah, I yeah, that's that's where we are, I guess. You know. mm. It, it's a step forward from from where we were um, earlier this year when we were both a case of you know, you know <laughs> never going to play um, mm-hmm. another new GW game. So they've obviously done something right because now we're sort of you know willing to play them, but we're not willing to invest massively, which is uh, yeah probably a I sign mean, we're, of our we're obviously, maturity. I think we're not the target market, but I think that we're in the be nice to sell to category for GW because well I did buy a bunch of GW yeah. paints recently so they got me there GW paints which I'm going to be using to <laughs> paint up more fantasy figures he said segueing rather awkwardly <laughs> oh segueing beautifully <laughs> <laughs> I just taking a sip of so, tea. So yeah, um, as you, I was hoping I was gonna. So what do you want to know? I was hoping I was gonna get the scoop, but apparently that's not gonna happen. Um, on the latest episode of the Meeples and Miniatures podcast, you talk about a fantasy project that you've been working on, and i I just want to I just want to caveat by saying. If you're not already listening to the Meeples and Miniatures podcast, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, you know, not only is the Welsh Wizard himself on there, but you've got Mike Whitaker, the the traveling troubadour, who's not Welsh apparently. One of the Welsh. And uh, actually, I should have had this discussion about no. cake with him because he is the phantom cake snatcher of Old Peterborough Town as well. And, uh, and of course, Neil Shuck. Um, yes. So, anyhow. The, the Godfather. Yeah. As, as we like to call him. Yes. So, yeah, it's a great show. I really like what Neil's done with the show recently. Um, well, I say recently, gosh, because you and Mike have been on for, what, three years now? Um, I think I've been on for about four or five. Okay. Well, it's, it's yeah. a far cry from where it started where he <laughs> yeah. was talking to his yeah, microphone whistle. like this yeah. because he whistle didn't want to upset the missus or whatever problem he had at home. I'm not sure what was going yeah. on. But he would do his entire podcast like this and you could barely hear him. 
But <laughs> but anyway, um, Neil, I I love you. I think you do a great show. Please continue. I I don't see. I I know for a fact that this. I I can't document this, but I know for a fact that the veteran war gamer wouldn't be where it is now if it weren't for meeples and miniatures. And that's you know. Neil, when you listen to this, please please accept my thanks and my gratitude because I really do appreciate everything that you and your crew have done for my show, and I really, I really like your show, and I think it's evident that uh, I, I hope it's evident in the way that I present this show. But anyway, moving moving swiftly on, to borrow from Neil, um, uh, fantasy yeah. figures, quite a few mm. Rokai on your painting table, or actually yes. off your painting table now. Yeah, they're off. No, it's it, it's Rohan yeah. time. Yes. Um. So what happened was, <laughs> um. So you met this guy also in Wales who has a bunch of somehow. who had a bunch of uh, Lord of the Rings figures, if I understand. Well, it, yeah, it, it it goes back a bit. Or does it start before? Oh, that? Oh, it starts way before that. Um. It started with, started with a visit to um, a magical place called Evesham, in uh, which is just across the border from me. Uh, when I went to visit um, Jim, Jim um, Ibbotson and A. Deacon, mm-hmm. who were two old mates, um, and I was going over there. I, I was off work for a few weeks, and I was going over there to play a game of sharp practice. Um, with Jim's beautiful American Civil War collection, and I got there, and um, they they just returned from a trip to um, Lard Island to see to see Rich Clark, and they went there because they wanted to produce uh, a fantasy game, um, but they didn't really have any idea what they really want. They had some ideas of what they were after, but they didn't have anything sort of written down, and they were just discussing the idea of a fantasy game. And it sort of went okay, but not brilliant. So, and I I went and visited the day after, and we just got talking about about fantasy, and we very quickly decided not to play the the ACW game. And we all came to the same conclusion, very quickly that what we wanted was a game of a similar size to Sharp Practice. But there was set in a fantasy background and had all of the fantasy elements to it, and we literally just put a bunch of sabo bases on a table. We had no rules, and we just played a game. And at the end of that game, we had a sort of fairly well fleshed out magic system, and we had ways of moving troops around, and we just sort of thought this could go somewhere. And so since then we've been sort of playtesting ideas. I've been writing down stuff. So it's now at the stage where I've got a 45-page-long document with um, rules for creating armies and all the all the basic mechanics and magic and flight and monsters and other fantasy elements all built into it. Um, and then we went and showed it to to Rich and Nick a few weeks ago, and Rich is a a, a big Lord of the Rings fan, so we purposely took down Lord of the Rings um, figures, <laughs> you know, 
And know your audience. Know your audience. And um, both Rich and Nick loved it, and they, and they basically said that they'd be really interested in releasing it. And so that, that's sort of where we are. And so, yeah, it looks like the two fat lardies are going to be producing a, a set of fantasy rules that um, me, Aiden, and Jim are writing. And uh, it's, yeah, it, it's really fun. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, we're also putting in the background. So um, that's something that Rich was quite keen on is... He, right. Even though there won't be any figures being released because that's not you know that's not what two fat ladies do. Um, they've sort of said that it it's it's important to have a background in any set of rules with some army lists. So whilst we could have produced some army lists quite easily, mm-hmm. having a context for those army lists to exist in is a better idea. So. Um, we're writing this sort of fantasy background where the usual sort of fantasy style um, uh, sort of fa- factions are in there, um, and we're, we're going to produce army lists to go with that. But it, that then allows us to carry that on and have sort of campaign mm-hmm. packs that can go like like your like your um, pan size campaigns, you know, so we can do things like that based yeah. in the world. But also allows players to sort of write their own army lists that could li- live in that world, that world if they wanted to, or they can just write their own their own army list. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's very exciting at the moment, and um, it just means I've got a lot of work to do to actually finish writing the thing. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's where we are. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's it's really interesting, and it, it's. What we found, I mean, we sort of started by using sharp practice, and I think at one stage we wanted to have. Mm-hmm. It, it almost felt like a, a like an expansion of sharp practice, and we tried to fit sharp practice mechanics into what we were doing, but we quickly realised that that wasn't the way ahead. And it, it was Aid who said, "Look, we need right. to move away from just using sharp practice. We just got to use yeah. the mechanics that we're mm-hmm. happy with." And so we basically cut the cord from sharp practice. We're like, okay, we'll use these bits. So you know, we use the command and control mechanism that you see in sharp practice, using the cards and the command cards. But we, they're just there to be used as a base to what we want to do. So right. So it's 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 not so much a foundation as it is a springboard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a springboard off. Um, because mm-hmm. you know, as I can say, the early stage we were very much trying to fit sharp practice into this fantasy world and it, and it didn't work uh, it just didn't work because sharp practice is a game about um, well, ranged fire followed up with a charge whereas a fantasy game in a sort of neo early medieval sort of style of um, game is very much um, right. Groups of infantry mm-hmm. or cavalry moving into close combat, and right. any artillery is on the outskirts. Any range fire is right. is there to stop them. But it's not a game about you know it's not a game of just standing off and just firing. It's a game about you know yeah. pushing the infantry together. Shall we say? And, and it's that command and control. It's using your leaders and your characters to achieve that. So. So combat has been changed quite dramatically. 
Um, I mean, people who play True Fat Lardies will recognise the mechanics, right. but the feel you get, you know, it, it's, it's no mm-hmm. longer a case of you charge in, you have one run yeah. of combat, then you separate. When you're in combat, you're in combat, and you're in there for a while until you break the other opponent, or they, you know, they try and move away. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been really good fun well, trying that out, and it, it, it sort of made me buy a load of Lord of the Rings uh-huh. stuff. Um, although I must mm-hmm. blame um, Matt and Ralph so Matt from Glenbrook Games and, and Ralph Powerman because um, mm-hmm. they, they put on a game for us in, in Abergavenny the wargaming capital of Wales um, yeah. where we played Lion Rampants using their Lord of the Rings stuff and I just sat there thinking it looks fantastic and I wasn't very keen on the rules and we'd started our game by then I just thought this would work in our game and um, yeah I, I bought a bit <laughs> I bought a lot Jay I bought five armies <laughs> <laughs> well there's a battle with that name so <laughs> yeah yeah. Oh, I, I didn't buy those five armies though <laughs> well get on it <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, good old day, that, that pusher of uh, lead turned out to me and went, oh, I, I've got a load of Lord of the Rings stuff you can you can buy off me. Yeah, yeah. So I did. <laughs> and then um, and then I discovered Jeff, who, who lives in the next valley to me, who <laughs> sent me a message going, do you realise you're, you're just ten miles away from me and I've got this great big box of unpainted Lord of the Rings stuff. Do you want any of it? There you go. And I bought the vast majority. Well, you know, it's... At, the uh, <laughs> I'm I'm looking longingly longingly at my neglected Skaven and Undead, and really really looking forward to getting a chance to to get a look at these and and get those guys on the table because those are the those are the primary mm. armies that I've been using to to work on my well at this point long neglected Commands and Colors fantasy project. And uh, I've, I've talked oh, yes. about that on the show, and I actually did a blog post about it about why I'm not using, uh, not using battle lore as a as a basis for it. But yeah, and actually now that now that uh, commands and colors medieval's coming out, I might have to reevaluate some things. But uh, mm. but oh man, yeah. I gotta get on that. I gotta get That'll on that P five hundred. But uh, anyway. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes of this, and I, it, it sounds really great, because um, I think that there's there's a definite, that's an interesting kind of a, a niche, a, a, a neat valley there between the skirmishy, you know, I don't know if you ever played Chronopia or not, um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, no. uh, from Target Games. It was a really, really neat fantasy skirmish system where you would have, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say your upper, your larger games would have had about forty or fifty figures in them. Um, but then you've got, you know, on the mm. far end, you've got a Warhammer Fantasy Battle game where, you know, forty or fifty figures would be a small game, you know, almost unplayably small, and then or on the very verge of unplayable anyway. And then, toward the other way, you've got War Machine and Hordes, where, you know, a playable game is about a dozen figures. You know, or maybe, you know, two dozen at the very most. Yeah. And, 
I, I think that there's a definite there's a definite place for a game that kind of fits that middle ground where you're not necessarily tracking each individual figure, but by the same token, you know, an individual figure doesn't matter on the other side. You know, and I think there's there's a space there mm. to be to be exploited, and I think yeah. I think it's great that you guys are are tackling that and going forward with it, and and getting Mr. Clark out from behind the from behind the wall of just doing historical stuff. Yeah, that that was a real eye opener, um, you know, and there was a. We, we were there for two days uh, with Rich and Nick and we're chatting and we played a couple of games um, and and then Nick uh, Rich sorry um, he, he, he's got a whiteboard in, in his office and he sort of scrubbed off the whiteboard and he started drawing this map and they went okay so we can have sort of humans here and humans there and we have some more um, some 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 elves up there and they can be lofty and aloof and we'll have some orcs down here they can be like you know we can be doing this and we'll have this over here and we you know he, he said like the humans all be like sort of like um medieval sort of 14th century fiefdoms across europe you know where they're all fighting amongst themselves <laughs> and we can have this year and that year and, and I, i'm just stood there going what am i watching <laughs> you know I, I'm, I'm just yeah. watching rich basically create a whole geopolitical <laughs> system for, for a game. I mean, okay, this is odd. <laughs> this this is not what I expected. Yeah, I was kind of hoping we, we might get the the permission to do a PDF. <laughs> you know, that was it. But no, they're they're really into it. So yeah, pressure's on. So um, yeah, we'll be doing lots of play testing and like you say, they, yeah. the the size of the game is quite nice because we're playing with about sort of fifty figures aside. You can you know. It, um, but it, it's a toolkit, so you can create your own armies. It, it's your fantasy to do what you want with it. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I'm I'm hoping that the the background. I, I guess it doesn't really ma- matter what the background is, because I'm gonna be yeah. able to do what I want with it anyway. But I'm I'm hoping that. How do I want to put this? I'm tired of the quote unquote evil races in fantasy games being, you know, just evil for mm. evil's sake. You know, I, I I hope that there's some depth there. That's one of the things that attracted me to Chronopia because there's an argument to be made that the that the Black Bloods, that's what they called all of the the goblinoid races, your orcs, goblins, and trolls and ogres. They were arguably the good guys in that setting. Yeah, and it, I I I definitely recommend you check them out. Well, for one thing, the orcs had a really neat kind of Middle Eastern uh, Saracen kind of uh, aesthetic to them which was refreshing and uh, and they were brown orcs they were not green orcs and uh, so I I yeah I actually I'm looking around and I now see the case where my Chronopia figures are still are so I might uh, yeah. I might have to get them yeah, out could, for this yeah that could be fun I mean there's there's things it, it does do and things it doesn't do like you know um, it's about sort of 40 50 figures aside yeah. you could literally play one by one I, I, I always look at it as a one to one game yeah. um, we we do have the concept of monsters in there but these are not monsters like um, you know like like the dragon from Game of Thrones or um, Ungoliant from, from uh, 
Silmarillion, you know, because those sort of monsters would just destroy an entire battlefield in one turn. Right. You know, these are monsters like. Um, do you remember in Lord of the Rings in in the third film when a bunch of those trolls came flying through the the door in in Minas Tirith through one of the mm-hmm. gates? It's that kind of monster. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you can go a bit bigger if you want to. I mean, I. I've got a heresy dragon which I really want to use in one game somehow mm-hmm. um, but that will probably be my entire army right um, <laughs> you know so, so yeah it, it's it, it, it's it's very much around the sort of narrative play though that's what we want to do we want to we want to highlight the command and control of of, of your characters mm-hmm. you know you if you want to have a, a sort of high ranking character with a small group of, of six spearmen chasing after a monster then you can do that right. or you can have huge you know formations of 40 troops you know marching across the battlefield pikes in hand heading towards a town yeah that's that's i mean so it's got all of that yeah there's certainly there's certainly something there when you're talking about you know basically you know basing your your combat systems in your in your uh your background on a kind of a high medieval uh, kind of setting, you know, high medieval with orcs, for example, mm-hmm. and there's yeah. there's a significant command challenge there in getting people who don't want holes put in them to go up and hey, go get some holes put on you. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it, it's a very different <laughs> yeah. type of leadership than what you would see in a 18th. 19th, 20th, 21st century battlefield. And I think that there's a definite Yeah. Well, crap, now I'm going to go have to I'm going to have to go listen to the audiobook of Face of Battle again uh, just for that uh the section on Agincourt. Um cuz that's mm. you know, and if I've I've got the hard copy, you know, I've got a the actual physical book around here somewhere, but yeah, that's that's a very much a command challenge to get people to do stuff like that, and that's where a smaller game like this can really shine, because you can have those, yeah. you know, like in Sharp Practice, you've got these little plot hooks, you've got these little uh, plot points and hooks that you can use to kind of inform the game as to why those guys are moving forward with a willingness to have a hole poked in them, and. I think there's there's a yeah. rich rich vein to tap there um, that could really lead to some compelling storytelling on on a tabletop with some lovely figures and on a nice terrain. Yeah, and yeah, like like I said, I mean, you you've got that command challenge of pushing troops who are not very keen on fighting ahead, but on the other side, you've also got the problem of trying to yeah. stop troops who are far too keen to get into combat from rushing in and destroying your, your plan and that's something that we brought into the rules is how you know the different mm-hmm. different styles of troops fight in different ways and I mean we we sort of based it on sort of early medieval because just really from looking at sort of fantasy um, films and books and you know it everything seems yeah. to yeah be based on that sort of period mm-hmm. and to us it sort of made sense you know you you there's no point trying to invent 
something new. You just got to look at okay, you know, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, um, Belgariads, um, you know, Conan, all of those. Mm-hmm. When they had big battles, it was that style of, of combat. It, it is. It, it's blokes armed with spears and shields fighting against yeah. something else armed with something else you know it's yeah it's the, the way I describe it is it's a game that will allow you to um, play that fight when the wargs came into mm-hmm. or when the wargs attacked the column heading towards right. Helm Deep rather than Helm's Deep it's that so it's not a mass battle game but it is all about the smaller skirmishes Mm-hmm. Or you absolutely, know, um, yeah. It, it's that sort of thing. Yeah, just like sharp practice allows you to to game the the retreat from the fort in Last of the Mohicans, not the siege of the mm. of the fort. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, absolutely. I, and th- that's what's great about you know you know taking taking mo- uh, a more characterful view of conflict, and you know it's. You know, obviously, sharp practices taken from, you know, the sharp novels, mm. and that's that's what a lot of those books are. It's you know these smaller smaller detachments going up against each other when they bump into each other on accident in, you know, in rear areas or in no man's land. Yeah. So and yeah, it, absolutely, it, I love it. Yeah. I love it. And it's it's similar with Chain of Command as well. It's a small platoon action, isn't it? It's you know, so it's it's when the leadership of the of the the troops on the ground. Or the commanders of the troops on the ground really is important, mm-hmm. rather than being a general going right. Those two thousand blokes over there can move forward, please. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's not that sort sort of game. So yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. No, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I I can't wait. I I'm gonna have to get my. Well, I, I guess I could get back to work on my Skaven and my other undead, but dang it, I've got those Triumph of Death figures from Skull and Crown that are just itching to get painted also. And they've, they've <laughs> got to get painted, because that's, that's part of an ongoing dream uh, dream project of mine, of you know, the, the late 1400s uh, Lands Next versus Undead. It's, it's, just, it's just right, and you know it is. And yeah. it's, that's going to be so cool. So, yeah. It has to be done. Yep, has to be done. Has to be done. Well, another thing, unfortunately, that has to be done is we have to bring this episode to a close. Uh, Mike, as always, thank you very much for coming on. It's always a joy to to talk uh, with you or any of the Meeples guys, but in particular you, because the other guys don't want to come on for some reason. Yeah, I I don't know why, Jay. I mean, I don't know what you've done to to upset (laughs) them. Um, Oh, Neil did say to say hi. Um, Okay. But yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, Jay, to come on. Um, really enjoy talking to you, and, and and your podcast is just going from strength to strength, mate. So, great stuff. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's 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 high praise indeed coming from you. Uh, so yeah, please say hi to to Mike and Neil for me and Dave if he's ever back on. All hail Guru Dave. All, all hail. And <laughs> so, <laughs> on that note, as always, if the wargaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. The Venom Wargamer is copyright J. Arnold 2017. Be sure to leave a review on iTunes. Discussion on the blog at theveteranwargamer.blogspot.com.
music courtesy of bensound.com. <laughs>